Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio, where you can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation, and if you don't spot it, Dr. Weefold will. How you doing? Let's hope. I'm great. It's a wonderful day. It's good to be here on a wonderful day. I'll tell Saturdays you Saturdays are great. We uh, we planned to talk about certain things, but we'll take any phone calls. About anything. Yeah. Call us. This is what I like, to be What's put that? on the spot, you, you know, would, with you, a good question about something that I know about. And uh, I like to be spontaneous and give the best answer I can. It's fun. I happen to notice that, well, I go through the old episodes sometimes, and I listen to the phone calls. And you haven't been stumped really that much. I I can't remember. There was one I was stumped on. Oh, yeah, about uh, COVID vaccinations and false positive breast exams. That was one I was stumped on. And, you know, that's the whole point is that, you know, you can call and you can teach me something. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you know that I am trustworthy on the radio is not because I tell you I'm right all the time and I I don't represent science, right? <laughs> like <laughs> certain someone I know. You don't personify science. Uh, right. No, I yeah. personify the wefy. Um, <laughs> but the way you know somebody is trustworthy is when they just out and out say, I don't know the answer to that question. The second way is to say, hey, I was wrong about that. Yeah. And have you noticed that there's a certain someone who not only represents science in his yes. mind, but yes. won't admit when he is wrong? And I think Dr. Fauci has really lost a lot of credibility. Like, did you know when he called that senator a moron? Remember that? Yes. You know, he thought he had a cold mic, and it was a hot mic, and yeah. this guy was quizzing him. Why can't we see your uh, financial statements. Right. And he called him a moron because they're public. Well, yeah. somebody tried to get him. Yeah. Took him two and a half months. They were turned down four times. Finally, they had to file what's called a Freedom of Information Act. Right. Which is a legal lawsuit. Right. Okay, essentially. And then they got one that was redacted almost, you know, completely. Well, so what does that mean? It means you can't get his financial statements. Yeah. So now they've passed a law. It's uh, called the Fauci law, and I can't remember freedom of academic or no, because <laughs> uh, he gets. You know, do you know he's the highest paid government employee I in do the United know this. States? Yes. And so they're going to say anybody who has a unique salary within the United States government yeah. has to put their financial records online Amen. for everybody to see, and that's what he was implying. Just go online, you moron. And, yeah. and there was a freedom of information group, you know, this, uh, these uh, whistleblowers. <laughs> yeah. And they tried to get him for two and a half months. And they were turned down and turned down and turned down. And finally they filed, you know, a federal freedom of information act and got him. But all the names were taken off and, you know, yeah. redacted everywhere. So uh, if you think that senator's a moron, he's really not. Yes, no. they are available, but yeah. no, 
you can't get him easily. Okay. So he's not a moron. We're going to talk about the vaccine mandate being struck down. Uh, Justice Sotomayor said something that was just patently false. And I think demonstrates the, uh, the lack of knowledge on the part of many on the left wing who are still in the hysteria mode about Omicron. Well, there's, the other part is you can get in trouble for misinformation. Right, but she unless, can't. Of course, right, unless, right. of course, you're a... I mean, if you're on the Supreme... Well, what does the Supreme Court mean? It means you're at the top. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can anybody do anything to her except impeach her? You know yeah, that? You That's yeah. true. You can't put her in jail. No. Nope. Uh, you can barely criticize her because then other people try to, uh, um, what's that word, cancel you. Right. So, you know, this is terrible misinformation and, in my mind, represents the hysteria yeah. of the f- left-wing um, politicians. And, and she's a politician. Let's just not forget that. And it's just hysteria, and it's crazy. We'll talk about why the Omicron uh, current manifestation of COVID-19 has hysteria associated with it. And we'll talk to Lawrence in Kerry. Lawrence, welcome to the program. So glad you called up. You are on with Dr. Weefald. Thank you. Good morning. I have a question. I heard Dr. Weefald say something um, way back months ago when I was skinny, and I'm no longer skinny after Christmas season. He mentioned something about your doctor could help you to lose weight, some sort of a vitamin or a prescription or something. All right. He wants to know about losing weight. Uh huh. And I, Lawrence, I, I are you on speakerphone? If you could come off speakerphone, that'd be better for yeah. me. I am yeah. hearing impaired. Uh, don't don't Sorry hesitate okay. to say it. Yeah. By by the way, just for the record, I'm calling. That's okay, friend. bud. I'm not fat. I'm not fat. No, you're not fat. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, it's <laughs> okay. But, you're you know, that friend. word has negative connotations. I don't think it should. But that's it. Go ahead. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> So anyhow, my question was, months ago, um, you had mentioned something about that your doctor could do to help you lose weight. Yeah. Was it a prescription or a supplement or something like that? He's talking about me. He's asking me, Lawrence, I take something called Ozempic. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, Ozempic. Yeah, Ozempic. I'm going to add the other ones. Trulicity is another one. And then the big one that's out is Wagovi. I mean, I don't know where they... Wait. Oh, I know what it is. Wait, go. But what's the V? I don't know. I don't know. Wait, go. Wait, go. It actually works. And it actually is a wonderful drug. Um, I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, let me just make this simple. Um, being obese is a genetic condition. And a couple things happen. But one of the things that we're trying to attack is besides hunger, and there is definitely greater hunger in obese patients, um, is your inability to uh, process sugar. And what happens is when you eat simple carbohydrates like processed flour, which is broken down into single sugar molecules, either it's the bacteria in your gut or it's the receptors for sugar, but they overwork. And so you have too much sugar entering your bloodstream. Fat does not get turned into fat. I'm sorry, the fat you eat doesn't get turned into fat. It gets turned into energy molecules that are not stored as fat. Fat's good for you. It really is. Uh, Maybe not the processed fat. But anyway, 
I call it a metabolic imbalance where you have insulin, but your insulin doesn't quite work right to regulate how much sugar is stored as adipose tissue or fat tissue. So what Trulicity and Wegovy and Ozempic do is sort of correct that. And so what's really interesting, if you're diabetic and you take one of those medications, your sugar falls because it corrects your insulin function. And that's a very simplistic term. If there's a scientist listening, remember, I'm trying to help the public here. But anyway, you take these medications, your sugar goes down if you're a diabetic. But guess what? Mm. If you take them and you're not a diabetic, your sugar doesn't go down. Because your insulin works well enough not to overdo it when you correct some of the metabolic imbalance. So this all started because they developed these medications through scientific research. They work well for diabetics. They reduce your risk of a heart attack or congestive heart failure. But they also made them lose weight. So bing, 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 the powers that be and the scientists within these companies said, let's study them just for pure weight loss. So it's interesting because all of them do it. Trulicity helps you lose weight. Ozempic helps you lose weight. And then there's something called Saxenda, which is an older generation of this type of medicine. It's called GLP-1. And I won't go into why it's called GLP-1, but that's the generic sort of way they work. And so they said, let's make a really expensive version of Ozempic (laughs) at a slightly higher dose. Yeah. So you can get Ozempic paid for by your insurance company most of the time for a $5 copay. Ah. But you want Wegovy? Yeah. Shell it out, baby, $1,000 a month. And there are people lining up to shell out $1,000 a month because, you know, they don't do the no-no diet, which is the we-fold way of saying stay away from white bread and white flour, stay away from sugar, stay away from the inside of white potatoes, and stay away from processed white rice. Anyway, if you do that, plus take something called Phentermine, which not everybody can take. It's a slight stimulant. It's not as bad as Adderall, but it makes you not hungry. And then you can take something called Topiramate, which is a seizure medication. But if you don't have seizures, don't worry. You're not going to have a seizure. But it makes you less hungry. So those are the anorectic part. That means you ain't as hungry. And then you take the GLP-1, either Trulicity or Ozempic or Wegovy, which is incredibly expensive. And I'm averaging about 10 pounds a month on people who are obese, and that means greater than a 30 BMI. Mm -hmm. And that's your body mass index, and your doctor can measure that when you go. So they're wonderful medications. And, you know, people think, why do you need medications to lose weight? Because it's a disease. Mm -hmm. Morbid obesity is a disease like any other type of disease. People who are morbidly obese may eat slightly more calories, but I eat 4,000 calories a day, and I am not morbidly obese. I have a different type of system. Now, I got some belly fat, which I didn't have when I was 30, but let me tell you, I ate 5,000 calories a day when I was 26, and I'm six foot tall. Oh, no, I used to be six foot tall. Now I'm 5'11". It's true. You do (laughs) shrink when you get older, but I was 140 pounds, and I could not gain an ounce. Yeah. And I was like the 98-pound weekly, they kick sand in They're my face when they're on the beach. Remember those old commercials? Yes. Yeah, the 98-pound yeah. weakling. Anyway, um, these are all available through your doctor. That's why I think the treatment of morbid obesity, which we call medical bariatrics, bariatric is a term, 
for the treatment of obesity. Anyway, bariatric surgery, wonderful. Um, and medical bariatric treatment is wonderful. Uh, don't think that you should feel bad about taking a quote-unquote diet pill. Just like the term fat has become a pejorative, yeah. um, going to a doctor who hands out diet pills. I mean, let me tell you, there have been other physicians in Johnson County where I practice who have said negative things about me because I prescribe diet pills. But guess what? The American Medical Association, the um, American College of Cardiology, the American Heart Association have all endorsed what I do. And I try to give it a fancy name, medical bariatric surgery. Now, you can get Wigovi for a month for free if you can get it because yeah. it's it been it's like you know the supply chain. It doesn't come from China, by the way. Yeah. You know where it comes from? No. Clayton, North Carolina. Well, if you should be able to yeah. get it. Yeah. Just drive down to Clayton and stand by the, At the gate. the factory? And say, I want it. And guess what? They won't give it to you. All right. Now, Lawrence, <laughs> let me just jump in and, t- and tell you something. I take Ozempic. Ozempic, I don't know whether it was a design or whether it's a, you know, uh, they call a, uh, whether this is something that it's supposed to do, but I don't feel like eating seconds. Yeah, it does reduce your appetite a little bit, um, but if you really, really want to go into the medical bariatric program, it's it's uh, phenomene. Now, that's a stimulant, so you cannot take this um, without being monitored closely. Not right. everybody gets palpitations, which is the rapid heartbeat from it. Not hardly anybody gets a higher blood pressure. But, you know, I, what I do is I'll start them on them at a lower, lowest dose to make yeah. sure it's tolerated. See them in two weeks, increase the dose gradually. But I have one patient, and we shouted him out um, the other day because he was 520 pounds when I met him. Wow. Six months, he's 400 pounds. Well, so we're good. heading in the right direction there, but he's also no knowing it, you know. Right. Yeah, you know, that is to say, staying away from simple carbs. So yes, it, these medicines work wonderfully. They have to be administered with a prescription, and you know, if you go to a doctor who's going to prescribe this, you need to be followed up very carefully and have your blood pressure checked, and that's how we're going to do it. Lawrence, thank you. God bless, and thank you. One more question, Doctor. We sure. Yeah. Um. My my spouse is on um, a blood thinner. Can't Which one? Right now, Eliquis. Eliquis. Would this be okay with that as well? Eliquis. Can you take it with Eliquis? Yes, absolutely. In theory, um, warfarin is a medicine you got to be really careful with. So, blood thinners themselves, and I hate to use that term because your blood doesn't become runny; it just clots less. And uh, warfarin can be affected by green vegetables, uh, those that have vitamin K in them. But what I do on warfarin is tell them, eat the regular amount of green leafy vegetables because they're good for you, and we'll adjust the dose. Just don't have 10 tons of spinach one day and then don't eat it for 10 weeks. The other quote-unquote blood thinners, which are Eliquis, Sorelto, um, and Pradaxa, they work in a different way, and they're not affected by what you eat. So that's a good thing. And you know what's great about Eliquis? There's no drug interaction. So with warfarin, certain antibiotics like Leviquin, Mm-hmm. and Bactrim, they can make your warfarin levels or your protons skyrocket and you can bleed. So there are di- there are drugs too. But the nice thing about Eliquis, um, I tell you, there are almost no drug interactions that are even, you know, that you even have to worry about. Very good. Lawrence, thank you. This 
is Heart Health Radio. You should be ashamed of yourself, people. Poor, poor Dr. Weefold has mis- misplaced his notes for the shame. I have it. Here we go. I have it all. Doctor's medical license suspended over accusations of spreading COVID This is This is a Maine doctor, right? She yeah. practices yeah. in Maine. The Granite State. Isn't that what it's called? I don't know. It's- but anyway, I think some of those people up there have heads of granite. I do not know exactly what this physician said. Um, there are plenty of other physicians who have concerns about vaccines. Yeah. Um, even one of them is that the vaccine can possibly promote other variants that get us sicker in the future. But what I'm trying to say in all of this and why it's shameful is that medical boards need to be non-politicized. Yeah. Okay. So they were going to, they've gotten rid of physicians who prescribe, co- I mean, prescribe uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Right. But there are plenty of studies um, that show early on, and this is not an advocate advocation, do not go get horse paste, okay? Because ivermectin is also used to treat horses. Do right. not do it. Do not take any prescription medicine without a prescription for your physician. But one of the hallmarks of physicians uh, and what we are allowed to do is use our own judgment. Any medicine that's approved for any reason, we should and can prescribe, right. quote unquote, off-label. So if you have Seftin, for example, which is FDA approved for, I think, sinusitis, Mm -hmm. I can use it for bronchitis. Right. And so there are medical boards now that have suspended licenses for people who are prescribing hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin for COVID. I think that's terrible. How about this? You, you, You did all this education. Edumacation. All this edumacation. You went to college. Yeah. To learn medicine and you treat people. Yeah. You can't use that experience to educate others about what you see in this yeah, troubling time. Because of politics. Oh, my. So you look at, you know, hydroxychloroquine, which is a safe medication. I don't care what anybody says. It, if it is prescribed as recommended and monitored uh, closely, it's as safe as most medications that I deal with. Yeah, but you notice that on the overnight shows, they said you know Trump is poisoning himself, um, and it's just wrong. <laughs> and do I think that you should go out and ask for hydroxychloroquine? No, I don't. The studies are still inconclusive, although suggestive. Right. And sometimes scientists believe that early on. Uh, in those high-risk individuals, it may possibly and it may probably be beneficial in reducing the risk of developing serious COVID requiring hospitalization and ICU and death. But anyway, let's just get away from the politics of it all right? and say we're going to address these things in a, a dispassionate and as scientific a manner as we can. Barbara in Raleigh, thank you very much for your phone call. Welcome to the show. You are on Heart Health Radio. Hi. Hey, Barbara. Uh-oh. That's all right. Here she is. Hi, hi, Barbara. What's going on? I wondered if Dr. Weeple would repeat the name of the vascular surgeon at Duke that he has talked about in the past. 
The cardiac surgeon or the one who just just does like arteries in the legs? Um, something for venous insufficiency. Venous yeah. insufficiency. Okay. I'm running a blank. Um, there, there were several, uh, and I'm going to tread carefully on this because there were several really good physicians there. They're not there anymore. Oh, well, and well. I don't know why, um, but there is a really good surgeon who is there. His name is Dr. Kirk Charles, and he works on arteries and veins. But I will say this. Um, there's a doctor in Cary named Dr. Lohr, L-O-E-H-R, and he's like me. He's in private practice. He does his procedures at his office, and I've had very, very good luck with his work. Yeah. Um, specifically on veins, um, there's something called venous insufficiency. As we get older, our veins get more stretchy, and as they get stretchy, the valves that help control the flow of blood back up to your body get yes. weak. He can fix those. It's a complicated surgery. Um, there is another doctor who does venous work, and his name is Dr. Chris Waters, and he is in private practice, and he also does these procedures in his office. So I would love to tell you the name of the guy that I've talked about at Weight Med, but he is no longer there. All right, Barbara, I've got to put you on hold. I Actually, what I'm going to do is we're going to let Barbara go, and if you think of a name, another name, have Barbara uh, I'm going continue. to tell you right now, Barbara, I'm not going to tell you any more names. You know, you're running mm. out of names. All right. All right. We're going to pick up with Angie in Chapel Hill in just a moment. We're going to talk about this pig heart operation. It's an amazing thing. And, and we have a new anagram for PETA, and I okay. want you to know PETA is, I have a new way of what PETA is. All right. This is Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me want to shout. On this radio show, we're always looking for people to shout out. Who are we uh, complimenting now? Annie, a.k.a. Annabelle. Everson. Yeah. Uh, she's a friend of the family. She's a student at East Carolina University. And the reason why I'm shouting them out is that they are suffering hmm. through quarantine. Oh, so no. one of the roommates tested positive, relatively asymptomatic. Nobody else in the apartment is sick. And yet East Carolina has a rule. They have to shelter in place. Yeah until the 18th of January. Wow. And so they're going nuts, okay? They're all sitting around, you know, they've watched Netflix now for 20 hours straight. <laughs> they're yeah. hibernating and sleeping and getting uh, DoorDash 24-7. Yeah. So I want to shout them out. They're, they're following the rules. And did you know that if they walk out of that apartment? What? $500 fine by the university. No kidding. Yeah. So... All you people out there in Annie Everson's uh, apartment <laughs> that are sheltering in place, it, it is, you're going to make it. You're going to get through it. And the Omicron that, that one of your roommates has is not something that we're going to worry about. But just keep track of your symptoms. Very good. And call 1-800-WE-FOLD if you need some help. <laughs> no. That's not a real number. That's, that's <laughs> I wonder what happens if you call that. I don't. Uh, well, actually, you there aren't enough. There aren't enough letters. <laughs> you know. You probably looked into that. Uh, no. All right. Joining us now is Rose Hoban from North Carolina Health News dot org. Rose, our schedules have been terrible over the last little oh, while. No. 
but I know. we're glad to have you on. You are. Yes. You have written this week about. Exi- in fact, yesterday. What a great article about oh. incidental COVID cases. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I need to know because this is something that we're hearing about. But give us the the, the scoop for North Carolina. This is real important. Well, what they're saying, what the hospital folks are saying, I talked to folks at Duke, Wake Forest Baptist, uh, slash Atrium, uh, UNC, mm-hmm. Wake Med, so big, um, big system. Yeah. And they said that, like, the woman from Wake Forest was like, it was like 7% of their COVID cases. Um, the guy at Wake Med was like, it's up to, like, into the double digits, maybe like 15 um, but, of course, he made this great point, and Dr. Weasel, you know this, that, like, some of those people who are, you know, incidental or with COVID, like, if you're a diabetic sure, and you get a virus, that could put you into diabetic ketoacidosis. So, like, he's like, so they come in, they're in DKA, which is the shorthand term. Sorry to use an acronym. Healthcare is full of them. Yeah. So they come in in DKA. And they've also tested incidentally positive with COVID, right? But they're there for the DKA. But, like, did the COVID cause the DKA? Like, you know, it's hard to know, right? Right. So um, so they said there is there is a number. Um, it's not a ginormous number. And then, of course, we've got, what, almost 4,400 people <laughs> hospitalized with COVID diagnoses. Yeah. So even if, like, um, uh, even if you, you know, even if you take out like 20%, we're still looking at like upwards of 3,500 people in the hospital. And they said that for sure. Okay, Rose. The ICUs who are on ventilators, Yes, they are there because of COVID. You said 3,500. Define that number. Is that people who are there because of COVID? Correct. Like right. this is this is at the high end of the incidental cases. Sure, it's anything from like thirty-five to thirty-nine hundred people, um, because I got a range, right? Like Wake Forest Baptist said seven percent, Wake yeah. Med said fifteen percent. Right? And one thing, and again, yeah, one thing I will say is that the hospitals, when they have an incidental COVID, that still ramps up the uh, resources necessary. Because those Absolutely. people have to be isolated and have to be, you know, cared for in a different manner. Right. Although I have to gown up and glove yeah. up and, you know, and goggle up. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it, well, but I would also say um, they are testing everyone. Um, and that's yeah. a good idea. Um, there are some hospitals have reported 40% of the COVID patients are incidental COVIDs. Um, so I think that it's a variable thing. I've heard 15 okay. to 40. But the mm-hmm. thing to remember is that it is not the case number that we have to worry about. I think it's the number of hospitalizations uh, that are true COVID patients. And I think I, I would like to see that as a published statistic, true COVID versus incidental COVID. And by true well, COVID, I mean therefore COVID problems. Well, and then so that was part of the reason I asked that question. And that was why... Like, okay, so are you going to make the judgment call that patient with diabetic ketoacidosis who's also got COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Do we know that the COVID caused it or not? Yeah. Right. Or the stroke patient who's probably COVID positive from PCR. Was that stroke a function of the COVID? Yeah. 
I think, it, yeah, it's a difficult thing to understand. Your article's great, though. I recommend everybody to go on to the website. And Dave, what's the official name of the website? The official name is NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. And if you Google parts of those words, just make sure you're going to NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Um, staff shortages. Yeah. Rose, this is the other part of the equation. Well, and this equation. is what, when they talk about the hospitals in crisis, part of this is that so many staff are testing positive. Right. Mm-hmm. This, I, I, listen, Rose, I, just about everybody I know as close to me has had Omicron. Is that your experience, too? Boy, it, it, everyone I'm talking to, it, it feels like is testing positive with Omicron. And I've got a couple. I have a girlfriend who's a, a PA over at Duke. And, you know, she was vaxxed and boosted, and she was laid low for 10 days with the Omicron. Wow. Um, Like, she was out. Like, she said, like, it was awful. Um, And, you know, like, fever for a good five days, um, just all kinds of uh, nausea, um, lost her sense of smell. So, you know, it was a a pretty serious case. Now, what... um, I think I've mentioned before, I'm a, I'm a regular listener of This Week in Virology, which is a podcast about viruses. <laughs> and, you know, they talk about, um, I'm such a geek, I'm sorry. Um, and they talk about how there is some immune evasion with Omicron, but that the vaccines are holding up remarkably well. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's that's the number one thing I want to emphasize that is that is the story, yeah, boy. if you're vaccinated, triple vaccinated, much lower chance of being uh, laid low. But yeah. you can but still get it. laid low. Right. But think about it like in North Carolina, the percentage of the population who is vaccinated, right? Like mm-hmm. Yeah. Full percentage is like what? It's like. 60%. Mm-hmm. So there's 40% of people who don't have any vaccine on board. So let's just do a really rough, you know, back of the uh, back of the envelope. That's a, that's 4 million plus people in the state who have no protection at all. A lot of yeah. kids, a lot of them are kids, but still 4 million people. And with Omicron just ripping through, they're talking about Omicron having an infectivity ratio of something called an R naught, like how many patients are infected by each case. And they're talking about R naughts that approach like measles. Like yeah, it, it's case. it's as infective as and, and catchable as chicken pox and measles. So that's right, for clear. Right. I will want to say that means that it's ripping through this four million people yeah. really easily. Yeah. And those I think are most of the people who are in the yeah. hospital. Which is it's 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 sad. It's it's um, the, so. As I said this week in our newsletter, since I'm a, um, a silver lining kind of gal, um, the good news is the good news is that you know we might actually get to something approaching herd immunity now between vaccine and then all these people getting sick with Omicron. Yeah, we might get to about eighty percent of people in the state having some form of antibody against. Yeah, disease. I'm sure hoping. All right, I'm Rose. Too. I'm over it. You're, yes, I know. Okay, I, mean, got, I, got, I got a special thing for her. What's that? Let's just. There you go. Listen. 
What are you playing? Ramblin' Rose. Okay, all right. Jesus. The song for Ramblin' Rose. I wanted the other one where the guy starts out going, Ramblin' Rose. All right, all right. Rose Hoven of North Carolina Health News.org. We love quick, you, quick, and quick, this is quick, so quick. great you're back on. Don't, Keep don't. an eye out next week. I'm doing a testing guide complete with flowcharts and cartoons, like how do you know what to do <laughs> once like you've tested, I'm not vaccinated, I'm not vaccinated, blah, blah. Been talking to lots of experts around the state, so that we'll be running that early next week. Excellent. Thank you, Rose. Have a great day. Good to talk to you. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Angie in Chapel Hill really wants to talk to you. Yeah, Do you I know want to talk why? to Angie. Why? I know she really wants to talk to Great. you. Great. She's been waiting for 15 minutes. Well, that's because she's <laughs> just patient. Angie, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for waiting. You. Yeah, good. sure thing. I just want to say thank you for speaking up about early treatment options. It's... Um, something I've been studying for months, actually since January, and to hear the disparagement of some of the early treatment options has been very, uh, I mean, disappointing is not at all a strong enough word. You're, when you look at... Angie, are you talking are you talking about early treatment options for COVID? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So when you look at the disparagement of ivermectin, for instance, being yeah. represented as solely a horse dewormer when there have been, in fact, 4 billion human doses given over the course of the life of that medicine, um, to represent it that way is is just reprehensible. And I really appreciate you having what amounts to the courage to speak up about the validity of doctors being able to make decisions freely, especially when we look at guys like Joe Verone in Houston, who's treated over a thousand patients successfully using ivermectin and Paul Merrick in, in Virginia, two really distinguished docs who are you know they've they've had great reputations. So I just want to I just wanted to really call and give you a pat on the back and say thank, thank you. you for letting people know that this isn't. <laughs> and not, and the, the people who are who are treating with these two medications are not quacks, and no. they're not putting their patients at risk. And I don't know if you know, but Dr. Fauci on his uh, in his testimony just the other week, yeah, admitted that they are intensively studying ivermectin at the National Institutes of Health based on the preliminary data. And remember, when, when all this these studies came out negative, yeah. they were using it in patients who were already on ventilators, who were already sick enough to be in the hospital. That's not when anybody who's been advocating these two medications um, are using in practice. They are saying, and I think that there's evidence they may be right, that you give it right away to certain individuals who are susceptible to getting severe disease, you use it to prevent the progression. And it doesn't work for everybody. And, you know, this whole concept that we're all the same, you know, little pieces of clay that are molded, they have now come up knowing the genes that are involved in people who get really sick from COVID. It is a genetic predisposition. So what I want to say is ivermectin, and hydroxychloroquine are not poisons, okay? Ivermectin is not simply horse paste, like like these people have tried to tell us. Right. The guy who invented ivermectin won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Yep. So yep. the point I'm trying to make is don't take this stuff on your own. Don't take the rheumatoid arthritis patients' um, hydroxychloroquine. Don't go 
to the vet store and get yourself some yeah. ivermectin yes. paste. Right. Yeah. Talk to your physician. And, okay. you know, most, I'm going to tell you right now, yeah. most physicians are terrified of prescribing these medications for COVID-19. Mine. Because they're afraid they're going to lose their license, even though they are fully allowed uh, to use medications off-label for certain illnesses. It's become a political issue. And I'm sure that some medical boards want to be able to crow to the press that they got rid of a physician who used ivermectin because then they'll get 10,000 likes on their uh, Twitter accounts. Yeah. Well, it's also important for people to understand, too, like to really be able to discern when you look at a clinical trial. So the FDA cited, in terms of ivermectin, they cited a, a large study out of Cali, Columbia, and said that it showed that ivermectin was not effective. But when you go in and you really read that study, yeah. there were some fatal flaws in it. The, the medicine was given um, on an empty stomach, which is fine when it's used for its traditional use, but not for COVID. It needs to be given with fatty foods. Right. And so they, they ignored that point. And, and, they, and they also, in that study, they gave it to people who are already sick as all get out. And that's not going to work. Um, you want to catch this before the cytokine storm, the uh, high yeah. inflammation, runs rampant. So, you know, let's see what Fauci comes up with. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe when he graduates from being a political uh, animal, um, he'll admit what the data shows. Angie, thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, I have appreciate a great time. Angie in Chapel Hill. Do you think that'll happen? Yeah. He's going to graduate from being a politician to being I, a regular I, doc? I don't know. But I don't if you're think listening so. from the powers that be, <laughs> I have not told patients no. to go out and eat horse paste. That's right. I have not told patients to take somebody else's hydroxychloroquine. I've told them to go see a doctor and see what he or she says. As we always say on the show, always talk to your doctor before you change the channel on the radio. This is Heart Health Radio. We're coming up on this show. We're going to shout out another person. We still haven't talked about the pig heart. They still haven't talked about David Bennett Sr. has the beating heart of a pig inside him. Amazing. I always knew Arnold Ziffel would come to the rescue someday. <laughs> that is coming up on Heart Health Radio. Now back to Heart Health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. We got it. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Jerry in Willow Springs joins us. Jerry, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Good. What's going on? I just had a question uh, for the doc about uh, monoclonal antibodies. Um, Is that something he would recommend if you just found out you had COVID and you have some mild symptoms? Monoclonal antibodies. Yeah. Guess that's what? still on the... Uh, on no, the, no, the Biden administration took it away. All right, let's... Uh, monoclonal antibodies are a preformed immunity. So basically what it is, is in the Petri dish, they can determine the shape of a protein called an antibody that binds to the spike protein and renders it unable to get into your schnoz because mm-hmm. it can't bind to the ACE protein, A-C-E. Problem is, it worked very well for uh, Alpha, which was the first variant, and it was designed against Alpha. It worked pretty good for the Delta variant, but they say now it's not very effective for Omicron because that Y-shaped end of it doesn't bind very well to the mutated 
spike protein of the Omicron. So what did they do? They just pulled it off the market. They won't let anybody have it. Here's the problem. When they pulled it off, about 40% of the patients getting sick at that time were still Delta. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know how many died because they pulled it off. Now, right now, I don't know. Some people are saying 95%. Some people are saying 80% are Omicron. Yeah. So they said, well, why should we give this $2,000 medication if it doesn't work? I think that it should have been up to the physician, not up to Joe Biden. Jerry, you got to turn that radio down to the background. It's unfortunately, yeah. it's, it's, he's on a six A lot of second. people like to listen to themselves. I understand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, Jerry, the bottom line is they work very well. They don't work so well for Omicron, but guess what? You can't get it anymore anyway. Okay. Dr. Biden has said, you can't have it anymore. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I think there is a, there's a group of people in this country who figure that there should be central control yeah. over medicine. Well, I mean, think and about it. And then there's a sen- sense... That no, okay. it should be experiment. You, you, you know. I'm gonna get in trouble for this because yeah. you know people on my Apple podcast have said I'm a raving lunatic right winger and I got a one star. I had all five stars to these guys got on. Gosh! But let me tell you, if you don't think the Democrats are socialists, ask yourself why would they want federal control over medical care and the decisions that doctors used to make and elections if they weren't socialists? Mm, okay, gosh. but anyway. Okay, don't take my license away, please. The powers that be. I'm just expressing an opinion. I'm just telling you that um, I I always say, and this is no insult to the people who run the DMV or the post office. I say, do you want your medical system to be more similar to the post office or the Department of Motor Vehicles? Don't you want your doctor to be able to make the decision and not Dr. Biden? Probably. Right. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Or at hearthealthradio.com. Got a shout out for you. Jennifer Smith of Rome, New York, is a nurse. She found out she's an extended, she like does physical therapy Mm -hmm. or or nursing, long-term nursing care. Found out one of her patients went from the home to, to a hospital and they put his dog in the pound. Yeah. She adopted the dog. Yeah. I mean, this is just what she... I just think that's a wonderful thing because we are human beings with human emotions. And yeah. I try to, you know, put myself in a in a separate sort of semi-separate sort of mindset when I take care of people because you can't let your emotions overrule, you know, the the decisions you have to make. But this woman did exactly what I recommend is that yeah. take your patient as a toto, in toto mm-hmm. person. She went out and got that dog. And how important is that? We've yeah. already talked about dogs saving lives due to the emotional impact that you have on reducing stress. And she just, what a great lady. Yeah. There is a, a story from two weeks ago. The Mayo Clinic has fired 700 employees. Now, this was before the the whole uh, Supreme Court decision. Right. We're going to talk uh, at some point about the Supreme Court deciding that the vaccine mag- mandate should be struck down except for health facilities. Yeah, so the Mayo Clinic has fired 700 people for refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Right. And so now they have to ask themselves, what are they going to say to all the people who were vaccinated 
who came in with Omicron. Right. And so, uh, you know, and they don't allow for natural immunity. So uh-huh. if you've had uh, COVID alpha and right. COVID delta, uh, there is a great deal of documented immunity. And also, they're not letting testing. Okay, so can yeah. you test and test and test to show you don't have it? Um, I am not going to go against the party line because I don't want to lose my license. No, no, no. no. But there are some physicians who say this is a wrong-headed approach and that you should take into natural immunity uh, as a mechanism uh, equivalent or almost equivalent to vaccination and that you should take into religious objections and those people who have objections who won't get vaccinated, allow them to be tested. And, and, you know, if they test negative, then they should be allowed to work. Yeah. Um, but also, they should test the people who are vaccinated hmm. because they can carry Omicron and they can get Omicron. So yeah. I think this whole thing of only the vaccine being uh, the um, be on all and end all to decide right. whether you work or not is false. PETA, you, you decided for a new yeah. acronym instead of... People Pig, for the ethical treatment of animals. Pigs enabling transplant advances. Okay? <laughs> and what I want to talk about this in detail. We're running out of time. But yeah, we are. Next hour, we're going to talk about what I think was the greatest advance this year. Yeah. Uh, greater than uh, the vaccines uh, for uh, COVID 19. And I, I'm going to step out on a limb here. Transplantation of modified pig hearts uh, allowing us to save numbers great numbers of lives it's not proven yet yeah but they've taken that first step and i want people to understand what it's all about all right we are going to do a couple of things coming up we're going to talk about this guy who's got a pig heart we're going to talk about the the carbon dioxide monitors whether they're a good idea and we're to gently try to keep dr weefold's license to practice medicine hey, that's coming i'm up. not advocating anything all right that's on heart health radio heart health radio is for information purposes only before taking any action consult your doctor the following is a paid program and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of wptf or curtis media group information provided is of a general nature listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network Specifically, FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. And Apple Podcasts, search Heart Health, H-E-A-R-T, second word, H-E-A-L-T-H. You're, had a senior moment. Did you just forget how to spell heart? Uh, yeah, but okay. I, health is also another one I forgot how to spell. All right, so let's talk about the fellow who got a pig heart. Yeah, yeah, it's just absolutely stunning. Because, I mean, you remember Baby Faye? This is a long time ago. Don't. They put a baboon heart in her, and it, it 
survive for about a week. Oh my. The reason why this is phenomenal is that our immune systems recognize, and they're supposed to recognize, invading organisms. Yeah. And one of those invasions would be putting in an animal heart or another animal organ, completely uh, different surface proteins, but also surface sugars. So what these guys at the University of Maryland did is over the past few years, it genetically modified these pigs so that the sh- branching sugars, which are related to the pigs and unique to the pigs, are gone. Yeah. And human sugars are there. And then other human proteins on the surface of cells, which caused what we call hyperacute rejection, are gone. Right. But there's another thing they did is they give them an anti- uh, a special medicine that reduces this huge antibody response to a foreign piece of material. Sure. And so it worked in this guy so far. Right. Um, they put the pig heart in. It's beating. It's not being hyperacute rejected. I'm sort of worried that this medicine that's going to reduce his overall antibody response may lead him to be subjected to infection. I don't know because I'm not a transplant biologist. But what this, and they're going to have to refine this. I know that. But they're going to learn from this. And this guy was very brave to allow himself to be implanted with his pig heart. And it's called on a compassionate use basis. So it was approved. He could not get a heart. He was failing. Uh, There might have been a reason they didn't put in one of these left ventricular assist devices. He may have already had it. I don't know the details on that. It may not have worked. But I think it's an incredible advance. And think about this. There are so many people out there waiting for organs, and they're not available. Right. That I think um, this is going to be great if it works and if it is modified in the future to be uh, a routine thing. And is there that possibility? Oh, yeah. That other organs are going to be used. I mean, think about it. Um, They can already do kidney. Kidneys were the first ones. And they turned out to be relatively easy. And I'm I'm going to use that that, phrase (laughs) carefully. But it's called the ABO blood blood group. So type A blood, type O blood, type B blood. They, They want the organs to be from people who have the same type of blood. And works for kidneys great. Yeah, so uh, I'm very excited about this. Um, what's what's this guy's name again? The, David Bennett Sr. Now, don't let, I mean, this is always what happens. When there's a spectacular news story, yeah. the journalists pounce on it, and right. they found out that he had some negatives in his history. I don't know all the details, but he apparently knifed some guy and yes. left him paralyzed. Yes. Um, so, you know, don't take... What this guy did and say, oh, we shouldn't do pig transplants. They put him in a bad guy. No, this is just take it separately. You know, this is the medicine, the surgical advances. Whether he stabbed some guy uh, and left him paralyzed has nothing to do right. um, with whether he should have gotten a pig heart uh, and whether this pig heart transplantation is a good thing. Nothing to do with that incident. We are in favor of truth. Yeah. We are in favor, uh, we're against misinformation. Right. But at the same time, it's been funny where the misinformation has come from. Yeah. Oftentimes, it's people in a an area or, or in, a, in a position of 
authority. Now, it was this week that the vaccine mandate was struck down. During the arguments about the vaccine mandate, the Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Sonia Sotomayor, said this. Um, We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Was that true? Uh, Absolutely no. Um, 3,500 kids uh, have been hospitalized. Uh, Many of them incidentally positive for COVID. That's a huge difference. Um, And, you know, she's she's a good person. She means well. She went to Princeton. Did she? Yeah. So she's got to be educated. Mm. Uh I'm just kidding. Um, The thing that surprised, no, actually didn't surprise me. Can you imagine if Kavanaugh had said that? It would have been from the liberal press. They would have skewered him. Yeah. But you don't know about this very much because she is a darling of the liberal uh, press. Uh, I went to college and actually uh, dated briefly Elena Kagan. Uh, She's a wonderful human being. Um, And yeah, we were on the Daily Princetonian together. She's my class, class of 81. Yeah. I would have voted for her to be uh, approved. Yeah. Uh, What's it called? Uh, The nomination. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Uh, yeah. Confirmed. Confirmed. Um, She didn't say anything about this. I don't think it's her it's her uh, um, duty to do so. But just to say that, you know, I'm a political conservative, but I think that these two have done tremendous things on the mm-hmm. Supreme Court, many of the things I disagree with. But, you know, they were arguing, and rightly so, that COVID-19 has been dangerous. That was not the purpose of the lawsuit. Right. The lawsuit stated that OSHA overstepped its bounds. Mm-hmm. that its uh, authority, as granted by the Congress, did not go far enough to, to make this, you know, this uh, fiat that any company with more than 100 employees had to be vaccinated, had to have them all vaccinated. Yeah. And, you know, the bottom line is they're allowed, and this is what the majority said, is that OSHA's allowed to regulate the marketplace when it comes to dangers within the business caused by the business. Right. Um, so, you know, Justice Sotomayor was arguing a good point that COVID can be dangerous. She exaggerated and gave misinformation about the dangers to children. But that has nothing to do with the lawsuit. It right. was whether OSHA had the statutory authority granted by Congress to make these rules. Now, interestingly, they kicked out the OSHA requirements, but they didn't kick out the Medicare requirements. Now, what are they? Anybody who receives Medicare, any practice, any um, hospital yeah. uh, has to vaccinate their employees. And I think that what they rule is that the Medicare people had the statutory authority. Now, I don't know enough about the statutes. So, you know, they're calling this a mixed message. I don't think it's mixed at all. What they're saying is if you make widgets... Uh, you have 100 employees making widgets. Yeah, OSHA did not have the right to enforce a vaccination protocol. Mm-hmm. But if you are a, a doctor's office or a hospital, they said you did. Now, it was six to three, um, uh, the conservative majority, six to three to vote 
against OSHA, but it was five to four. It was very close yeah. uh, to vote for Medicare to do this. Um, but, you know, if you've misinformed the public, you need to get out there and say, I misinformed you, I was wrong. No. That will never happen in this case. I guarantee you that. Yeah. And so, remember, you're, the people you can trust and are trustworthy admit they're wrong. There is a proposal about a, well, it's a Medicare again. It has to do with an Alzheimer's drug. Yeah, and I think this is a very important thing um, because, you know, I've always said that private practice is great. The medical system we have in our country is great. The only problem with it is access to medical care. Uh, I'm not for socialized medicine just to increase the access uh, because of something else we'll talk about in a minute. Um, what happens in socialized medicine is rationing. Yeah. But anyway, I think Medicare is excellently correct. I hate to use that. That was terrible. It's definitely correct. Yeah. On limiting the access to this new Alzheimer's drug, they want to charge $23,000 for access to this medication. And it barely, even if you believe the study, uh, it barely uh, decreased um, the problems with Alzheimer's, the symptoms of Alzheimer's, in one study. And so now Medicare says, yes, we'll pay for it only if you are enrolled in a study to see if it actually does work in the future. Because let me tell you, with the number of Alzheimer's patients in this country, do we want to give $23,000 in medical care to each one of them for a medicine that has a marginal rate of improvement and only in certain ones. Now, the thing to remember is that the FDA advisory board said don't approve this drug because they didn't think there was enough evidence that it was worthwhile. Oh. The FDA as a whole did approve it. And there were, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but there were accusations that there may have been some bias involved. That's all I'm going to say in the FDA approving it. But I think Medicare needs to step up and say, with these drugs that are marginal, uh, in terms of evidence that that it work that they work, yeah, and incredibly expensive, um, they need to be able to regulate who gets them. And I yeah. agree in this situation, even though that sounds kind of socialist, uh, it's not. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the government's paying for it, and and we can't break the bank. I mean, well, we can. I mean, it might be a trillion dollars. Yeah. That yeah. they would have to pay if every single Alzheimer's patient on Medicare, and most of them are on Medicare, yeah. would get this medication. We've got a couple of concerns coming up in our shame report. Carbon dioxide monitors and CVS? Really? Mm. We're, we're shaming CVS? You know, I have some personal experience with CVS as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's coming up. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio Network. People are carrying around carbon dioxide detectors. All right, so the concept, okay, we breathe in oxygen. Yeah. And we blow out carbon dioxide. (laughs) Now, we haven't been outlawed yet, okay? They're not going to try to electrify human beings. So, we, you know, and we're not going to have these carbon dioxide canisters that absorb the carbon dioxide (laughs) yet. But these people are carrying around these detectors so that if they go in a store. Yeah. 
And if there's too much carbon dioxide, get out of the store now. Why do they get out of the store? Because they think that's a, a sign of bad air. Can I, can I just tell you, people, <laughs> look in front of you, okay? Yeah. And you don't see anything except the wall. Yeah, that's right. So in between you and that wall yes. are trillions of viruses. Really? Floating in the air. Now, the reason why we don't die is because we have immune systems. Now, yeah. COVID has um, uh, adapted itself to defeat our immune system. Although, you know, they're finding people... You have T cells, you know, the other white meat, the other immunity, <laughs> who are naturally immune. Sure. Because they had a coronavirus common cold. Okay. What happens with HIV disease, human indi- immunodeficiency virus? They lose their immune system and they get all sorts of horrible things that we normally fight off. Right. So if you're worried about, you know, Nordstrom. Having too much carbon monoxide, not monoxide, dioxide in yeah. it, you're not so, okay? Because the difference in these carbon dioxide levels is parts of trillions, okay? Right. It's like infinitesimal. So don't buy this thing and then walk around saying, I'm environmentalist and I can tell when the CO2 is high and I'm going to run out of Nordstrom. I, I think what they're thinking is, that there's very poor ventilation yeah, but that's in the any tr- place that has a lot of carbon okay, dioxide. I'm going to tell you right now, you, the amount of ventilation changes the billions and billions of viruses yeah. to maybe half a billion okay. viruses per square of centimeter that you're breathing in every second. Yeah. Stop worrying about this stuff. It's ridiculous. Okay. CBS has done something with Eliquis and Zeralto. Yeah, so what's happening now, the drug companies that compete, and these are drugs that are still um, on the market as, you know, um, what's it called? They're not generic, they're brand name. Yeah. Okay, so they have brand a name. patent. They're incredibly expensive. So Zeralto works uh, as a blood center. It's better than warfarin. Eliquis... The only difference is you take it twice a day. They still attack the same uh, mechanism that causes clots. They're both expensive. Yeah. What CVS has done is a bidding war. And they said, all right, one of you guys is going to give it to me cheaper. Let me know and we'll exclusify it. We'll yeah. make it so we anybody who gets from CVS can only get Zarelto. Now, I think that's horrible. You should, number one, freedom of choice. And number two, there are differences. There are studies that have shown, for example, Eliquis perhaps reduces the risk of bleeding in certain individuals than Zarelto has. And so, you know, there's one argument that CVS has made the company reduce the price. Yeah, but is CVS going to pass off that reduction in price or are they going to just make more money uh, because they're still charging you a ton. Yeah. So I yeah. think this is bad news. Um, and I'm telling you, I run against this all the time. I want to prescribe a certain medication, and they say, nope, we only have X. You want Y? Tuffo. Right. Now, I just think that this is beginning to look a lot like socialized medicine, even though CVS is a tremendous juggernaut of capitalism.
Right. You know, I know I I met the guy who founded CVS. No. Right, he no. was a friend of my father-in-law's in Woonsocket. That's it's a French place, you know, French Canadian. Yeah. Woonsocket, Woonsocket. And he started this one store, consumer value store. That's why it's called CVS. Yeah. It had nothing to do with drugs. It started out as a store where you could get Campbell's soup cheaper. Yeah. Because it was on the shelf. You had to bring your own bags. Right. Yeah, consumer value store. No, that's kidding. what it was. And he went into um, into pharmacies, and the rest is history. It's still headquartered in Woonsocket. No kidding. Yep. All right, Larry in Raleigh, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Hi, Larry. How you doing today? Good. Good. What's up? Um, well, I called about two weeks ago, and um, my wife was having problems. Yes. Um, and I lost the doctor's number. Oh, oh okay. And um, so she ended up going to the emergency room, um, had congestive heart failure. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. And yeah. um, they put her on Lasix. Okay, that's a water pill. It gets well, rid of sodium and too much fluid in your body. They gave it to her intravenous. Yeah, in the vein. Yes. Yeah. How'd it work out, Larry? It worked out real good. Good. Um, she stayed in about a week, and her ankles and feet are smaller than they have been. In how's her time. breathing? Um, how's the what? They're breathing. Uh, her breathing, well, that's a, another trip to the emergency room. Ooh. But, um, they, um, the first time she was in there, they took a liter of fluid off her left lung. Ooh, so and, she had a, and, um, a fusion, yeah. And then um, she was at the heart doctor, and he had them do a um, CT scan of her lungs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was last third, last Wednesday. And yep. Ended up in the emergency room again, had a blood clot in her left lung. Wow. And they gave her a thinner, blood thinner. Yes. Uh-huh. And then they took another small amount of fluid off her left lung again. Wow. Uh, she's well, sounds breathing, like she's better. On the road to recovery. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, there are a bunch of medicines that can help her, um, and I'm not going to ask if she's on them or not, because the physician who's taking care of her has to you know, make that decision. Right. But the, uh, what I'm trying to say is there are so many new medicines that can help her and keep her out of uh, heart failure. Heart failure is when your heart is weak, and it can't pump strong enough. Therefore, the pressure builds up in the lungs. You get fluid in the lungs. Then the right heart doesn't work too well, and you get fluid in your legs. But the good news is there's a whole lot we can do now. So she has a cardiologist. Is that correct? Uh, yes. The, good. That's the one she, we just went to on Wednesday. Good. We'll make sure that she sees that doctor frequently and gets the medications adjusted. Let me tell you, one of the problems can be in heart failure treatment is that some of the things are left up to the primary care physician because the cardiologist is so busy. Sure. And there is something called readmission rate. So Medicare says, you're a good hospital if somebody is discharged with congestive heart failure and doesn't show up again within 30 days. Now, there are some hospitals where it's 13% and Medicare is, of the patients go bounce back. Yeah. Medicare is trying to get it below 
Um, I got dinged because I quote unquote saw my patients too much. I mean, I would see them in a couple days and then two weeks yeah. and then a month. Yeah. But my readmission rate is zero. Yeah. Well, zero. They shouldn't so have to go back. So a hospitalization is ten thousand. Right. An office visit is a hundred bucks for me. Yeah. So bottom line is, um, don't hesitate to have her seen frequently, even though you think everything's okay. Um, there's a slight tweak. Uh, the doctor may notice a little difference right. and make an adjustment in the medication. And that, in my mind, makes all the difference in improvement and prevention of worsening symptoms and condition. Larry, thank you very much for checking back in with us. I'm I glad she's doing better. Call us back and let us know. All right. Thank you. God bless. Take care, Larry. Bye-bye. All right, you know, so that's it. yeah, let me. Can I ta- do I have you get, a minute? No, you got you oh. have less than a minute, but you you got another half hour of the show. Okay, so we're gonna we'll talk about the thing that he wants to talk about, which I'm not sure about, but he's going to talk about it. That's coming up. <laughs> Don't worry. It's also, safe. physicians' assistants want a different name. I'm that's, mad about that's that. coming up. Welcome to Heart Health with board certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio. You can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to this radio show. Doctor, how are you? Uh, good. I'm dancing here in the background, in case, in case <laughs> you wanted to know. I, I am particularly happy today. Yeah. And you know what? What? I don't even know why. Well, Isn't that weird? Yeah, you got it. But I think the, the key thing is that happiness is elusive. Yes. But you know what? It's the number one emotional thing that makes us healthy. Find a way to be happy. Yeah. Of course, there are some people who are permanently unhappy and they're 96 years old, so I don't know. But I just noticed now, you know, I'm better on the show when I'm happy. I used to work with a guy who was terminally sad, upset. Didn't matter. And he was happy that he was upset. Mm. This was his thing. His shtick. You say, hey, how you doing? He'd always say something like, fine, under the circumstances. Yeah. You and know it's what I call them? What's that? Eeyores. Eeyores, right. Yeah. right. I'm, I like to be more poo- and I don't mean number two poo. I mean Winnie the Pooh. More poo. More poo. Less Eeyore. Less Eeyore. Okay. All right. So physician's assistants. Yeah. How long do they go to school? Uh, let's see. They Most of them get at least an associate's degree, and a lot of them get a bachelor's degree. Yeah. So it's two and two, four years of training, two years of real physician's assistance training. Okay. Now, they are assistants. Now, what does that mean? They can take histories and physicals. Yeah. Uh, they can make clinical decisions, but I'm going to tell you, they're limited. And, and uh, there might be a PA who calls up physician assistant yeah. and screams at me. But I'm going to look you in the eye and say, you are not me. You are not a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. You are not a physician. I've been through 15 years of training. Yeah. I have stood at the bedside of a heart-failing patient at 2 in the morning and saved their life. I am sorry you're not me. And, and that doesn't mean that they're not valuable. Yeah. I've, I've had PAs work with me. And I remember I said work with me. Yeah. They are professional. Yeah. But they need physician supervision, just like nurse practitioners. 
because they don't have the experience and they don't have the training. That's not to say they're not valuable. Um, I would say this Tara Bush, who was my um, nurse practitioner for years, yeah. was one of the best cardiovascular professionals I ever worked with. But she was still someone who needed supervision. She could make decisions, and 90% of the time they were right on, spot on, but she also knew her limitations and would come to me and ask me what we should do. Now, what do the PAs want to do now, which I, some of them, I'm not sure all of them, want to do? They want to change their name. To what? Associate physician. Mm. Now, let me tell you, I am dead set against that. Why is that? If somebody walks in and said, hi, I'm an associate physician, what does that make you think? It makes you think that they are physicians. Right. And they are not physicians. Now, there is something else brewing, and that is they want to be able to practice on their own, open up their own practice. I'm going to tell you, I'll fight that tooth and nail. Yeah. Because, again, as a cardiologist with 35 years of practicing experience and 15 years of training, add that up. Yeah. That's a lot of training. That's a lot of work. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're a PA, you're great, you have a purpose, Yeah. you are a professional in the sense of, you know, earning a professional degree. Yeah. I want you to practice under the supervision of a physician. Don't call yourself a physician associate. Don't call yourself an associate physician. You are not a physician. You could go back to school, couldn't you? If you want to be a doctor, go to medical school. Yeah, yeah. And there are now 50,000 MD people. They've gotten a degree. Yeah. They can't practice medicine. Why? Because they can't get a residency. Really? Yeah, and most of these are foreign medical graduates. Now, what's the solution to our physician shortage? And there is a physician shortage. Yeah. Let's find some residency programs for a lot of these doctors. They're great doctors. Um, but there is now, in some states, an associate physician program. They are physicians. They are MDs. Yeah. But they will not be able to practice and get licensed. That doesn't mean they can't work in a physician's office under the direct supervision of a physician right. and help that physician out. I think that's a good idea. But I will fight tooth and nail. And if you're a PA out there, a physician assistant, and you're mad at me, tough. Well, call I up. I will fight that because you are not physicians. You are professionals who serve a wonderful purpose, yeah. who are needed, who are valuable, but you need supervision by a physician. And I'll fight that till I'm no yeah. longer a doctor. <clears throat> my, my wife and daughters all go to the, essentially the same practice, same address. Yeah. Uh, for primary care physician, yeah, they always see the PA. They okay. love her. They think that she's everything. They are good. Now, they are wonderful, and a lot are better than others. Okay, but you got to be supervised. This, you yeah. got to be supervised. And if there's ever a situation where you're in a practice and you don't think you're getting the attention that you need, yeah, speak up, right, and say, "I want to see the doctor." I've I've fired doctors. Okay, you can fire me anytime, bro. I I, w I had a doctor. Let's put it this way: I'm a big one for saying, okay, 
you're you need to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need to at times decide that this is not the person for you. Right. I had a I had a kidney doctor, I a phrenologist, is that what they're called? A phren- nephrologist. No, nephrologist. All right, nephrologist. You know what phrenology is? That's the study of bumps on the head. Oh there yeah. Is actually phrenology. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, they're quacks. Okay. So here's the thing. I go in and he looks at my test results and he says, everybody in my practice is on a meat is on a vegetable based diet. Uh, I said, everybody? Yeah, everybody. So in other words, no matter what they come to you with, mm-hmm. your answer, your one answer is a vegetable based diet. Right. I walked and never came back. Yeah, and I think that's right. Now, there is protein restriction sure. that some nephrology patients, kidney patients need. But, you know, I, I talked about um, Annie Everson, uh, you know, that we shouted her out. She asked me a question the other day. Is meat really bad for you? Huh. And I'm going to tell you this right now. There is a political um, movement on the left to get rid of meat. And sure, there are some meats that are probably bad for you in the sense of how they're prepared. Uh, but everybody think back, okay? What did our ancestors subsist on? Uh, meat. Wild game. Hunt- yeah. You know what a hunter-gatherer is? Sure. And you know, the other thing is that, is that a lot of the left-wingers, and probably rightly so, um, love the Native American cultures. You know, oh, if we could go back to Native America and all live like they, you know, the Sioux Indians, they were healthy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, you know, very lean. Yeah. What did they eat? Uh, Tatanka. Tatanka. Oh, ate... You know what Tatanka is. Yeah, I've Dances seen. Dances with wolves. Yeah, they yeah. ate buffalo, people. Buffalo meat. They ate meat. Yeah. So meat is not bad for you. There are some people who need to restrict their protein intake. Yeah. But vegetarianism is not what our ancestors practiced. Right. Meat. Right. Yeah. It's, it's what I, for dinner. I, I had a friend yeah. whose son, he went up to his son and said, what do you want for your birthday? And yeah. the guy said, meat. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> so just get off of that kick. Now, vegetarianism can be good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying vegetarians are bad people. If you choose to be a vegetarian because of PETA, that's pe- people eat uh, uh, for the ethical treatment of animals, not Pigs enable transplant advances. No, but you just said pigs eat. I love that. That's, oh yeah, they do eat. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good thing for people. If to, you're a vegetarian, I'm not downplaying yeah. that vegetarianism has has its benefits. Yeah. Um. You know, and and you got to get protein though. Eat those garbanzo beans. Yeah. Eat the tofu, but meat is an was an essential part of the survival of the human species. Over the last 500,000 years. So meat is not bad for us. Just stop thinking that. All right. There is an Ontario woman. Now, she's in Canada. That's her first problem. She has stage four colon cancer. Life-saving surgery has been postponed. A bunch of times. Indefinitely. And that's just craziness. Because of COVID, we don't want to do. You know, they, they, they think that they need to just wipe out all the hospital beds waiting for the COVID patients. Right. And it's terrible. I mean, I see it in my practice. I have several patients now in heart failure, 
because their hearts were rendered scarred up yeah. and weak because they were having chest pain. And they thought they shouldn't go to the hospital because they want to save the hospital beds for the COVID patients. Right, right. Well, of and, course. And it's happening more in Britain and it's happening more in Canada and it's happening more in the health systems that are socialist. Because whenever you have a socialist healthcare system, you have rationing of healthcare. Yes. And I'm going to tell you right now, they did it in the U.S. too. They cut off heart catheterizations and they said, we're not going to do knee replacements. But someone with stage four colon cancer who needs life saving surgery. Right. I'm going to tell you right now, if that were my wife, Mm -hmm. I'd be screaming, holy heck. And I'd be pounding on the door of the hospital president saying, this is not elective surgery. Right. This is nutso. And um, I, I, I hope that if, if you're listening out there and your loved one has surgery that would potentially save their life right? and you're being told it's elective and we're putting it off because of COVID, go nuts and refuse to allow that to happen. Jason in Burlington. Thank you for calling. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing well. Thank you. Enjoy your show. Thank you. What's up? I have a simple question. I don't. Um, I just wonder if I could run my lab test by the doctor um, and uh, have his thoughts about whether I should be on a statin. Oh, he's, he he wants to give you his numbers and tell you tell him whether he should be on a statin. Okay, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you back. I'm going to give you advice based on a patient similar to you that I treated. Ah. But I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I will be able to listen, and we'll uh, we'll talk. You're going to you're going to talk to him now. I can talk to him now. I thought Jason, he wanted my number. No, no, no. Jason wants to give you his numbers. His numbers. All right. Jason, what Jason, are your lab tests? And all the people out there wondering what the heck's wrong with me. I'm very hearing impaired. It's getting worse. All right, give me your numbers, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. Uh, LDL's running at 145. One what? Total cholesterol. Jason, hold on. That first number, was it 145? Correct. All right. Okay. One, LDL, Wait, 145. 145. Uh, total cholesterol is 226. Uh-huh. 226. Triglycerides, 202. Okay. And HDL, 36. HDL is what? 36. 36. Okay, now I'm going to ask you some questions. How old are you? 66. And has anybody in your family, mother, father, sister, or brother, had a heart attack, heart stents, or, you know, having chest pain due to the heart problem? My mother had a mild heart attack at 73. Okay. And are you diabetic? No. And do you smoke? No. And do you get much exercise? Uh, I do a fair amount of, uh, well, Pilates and that kind of core work. I don't get as much aerobic as that. Okay. And have you had any testing, like a stress test or a carotid ultrasound? No, no, no. Okay. I'm not saying you need it. I'm just trying to gather all the information that gets sure. me a risk profile. Yeah. And so I'm going to tell you this right now. Age. Okay. So he's in the age group that makes you at a higher risk. Yeah. He does not smoke, which mm-hmm. is great. He doesn't mm-hmm. have diabetes. Oh, I forgot. You have high blood pressure? 
I uh, do have mild high blood pressure, okay. and I think one's in a row. Okay. And family history. Some would argue no. Um, some would say that you have to have a premature, uh, not a premature relative, a relative with premature heart disease. And that's yeah. a primary relative, mother, father, sister, brother. So I'm going to count you positive family history, positive age group, and positive high blood pressure. Now, if I had you as my patient, I would do one particular, two particular tests to find out if you've already got cholesterol buildup. And that would be a CT scan, calcium score, to see if you've got calcium in your coronary arteries. And then I would do what's called a carotid ultrasound to see if you've got cholesterol buildup in the arteries to your brain. Now, some th- most physicians would recommend you be on a statin because of your three risk factors. So there's a scoring system that we're supposed to use. Um, and um, they would recommend, well, uh, some group would recommend um, you get down to 100. Others would recommend you get your LDL. And that's what I'm talking about, the LDL down to 70. But you need to speak to your physician. You've got three risk factors. I don't know whether you've got uh, early cholesterol buildup. But given that, if you were, uh, if I had a patient similar to you, I would recommend a statin. Now, would I recommend diet and exercise? Sure, I would recommend you stay off of uh, um, sugar and flour. I would recommend you walk 45 minutes five times a week. I'd recommend all those things, but it ain't going to lower your cholesterol. Okay, maybe, you know, people say, oh, I I took flaxseed and it lowered my LDL 10%. Well, that's going to get you from 145 to 130, and that's still not (laughs) good enough. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I let me tell you about me, okay? I was of the impression I'm Superman. I would never get sick. My LDL was much higher than yours, 178. And so I got this lump in my arm. And make a long story short, I got a CT scan for the lump in my arm, and they found out I had cholesterol calcium in my Widowmaker. And then I did an ultrasound of my carotid, and it was 25% blocked by cholesterol. So yeah. I sort of panicked. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need a stress test, but I got one because I could. And it was negative, and I have very good exercise capacity. And I went on statin, got it down to 130, which was still on a target. So I went on something called Rapatha, which is the newer medicine. It's an injection every two weeks, and it lowers your cholesterol by a different mechanism. Well, now mm-hmm. my LDL is 11. I'm not talking about 111. I'm yeah. talking about 11. 11. So two years later, I went back. My carotid artery, the artery to the brain, had almost no cholesterol buildup. And my calcium score went from 400 yeah. to 50, 50. Wow. So again, it's all, this is a complicated thing. And the answer is, uh, if, if I had a patient like you, I yeah. would recommend it. But I would also, me as a doctor, I'd get two studies. One is this coronary calcium score and the other is an ultrasound to see if you have cholesterol buildup in another part of your body. Makes sense, Jason. Absolutely. That's a big help. Thank you. Always, always talk to your doctor. Always. Dr. Weefold does not have your chart, right? And, you know, he's... But but not only that. Um, I don't make clinical decisions on patients until I really know them. Right. Okay. Now, suppose somebody comes into my office and it happens and their blood pressure is 240 over 120. Right. I'll make a clinical decision. I got to get that down. But someone like the the caller, um, I'd like to get to know them. 
I like to have all the information before I'd start about a drug. And one of the reasons why is that there are potential side effects, but also, um, you know, these medications are not dangerous, but you don't want to take a medicine unless you really have to. Right. Now, I take four, and right. you're not going to take them away from me. It is not. Right. I mean, you try them, it's fighting words, you yeah. know? I believe in chemicals, but I also believe in exercise. I believe in diet. I believe in weight loss. Uh, I believe in, you know, certain supplements that are proven to work, like turmeric yeah. for inflammation. Yeah. So it's a complicated, long process. But um, let's let's just back up and say I don't rush off into medicines. We'll talk to James coming up on Heart Health Radio. PTF. Well, you know you make me wanna shout and kick my heels. We are shouting out James in Raleigh, who's uh, joined us on the line. James, welcome to the radio program. You are on Heart Health on the Heart Health Radio Network. Thank you a lot. Great show. And uh, thank, you. thank you, Doc, for taking this phone call. Yeah, what's up? So here's this is it's kind of hard to ask the question. So um, almost 65 years old, still working full time, uh, don't smoke, don't drink, any of that kind of stuff. Um, but from a science point of view, I was going to ask you, what is the heart going through? So the basis of the question would be, you know, forever and ever to relieve stress, I've used exercise, plus I like it. And, you know, the benefit is it kind of helps you later in life. So if I take, uh, I know all my numbers from running, so I run and I do a lot of rowing, indoor rowing. But even eating healthy, maintaining weight, you know, seemingly healthy, you never know what will happen the next day. But my performance over the years as I track it on the rower, let's just say, is I can't uh, handle the times that I used to do. What is is that normal for, is my cardiovascular system getting weaker and will it continue to get weaker? Or is there a point where you can hold it or is it normal to be losing a little bit if you're measuring it on a day-to-day basis over the years with the heart? Well, that is such an excellent question. I, l- let me just back up and say, I have patients who come in all the time. And one of the things I ask is, how is your physical activity? How Can you exercise? And they say, I'm just getting old. Okay. Yeah. And so here's the thing. If you notice a significant decrease in your ability to do what you used to do, then that sometimes is a sign that your cardiovascular system is not as good as it used to be. So let me give you an example. I had a guy who could walk four miles and then I asked him, you know, the next time I saw him six months later, and I said, are you still walking four miles? He says, no, nah, I'm getting a little older. I can do only do one. Well, mm. again, this is not you. This is him. He wound up having triple vi- bypass surgery. Oh my. And <laughs> the reason why his exercise capacity diminished was not because he was getting old. It was because he couldn't get enough blood flow into the arteries of his heart. So <laughs> this, you know, again, I don't know you, and I haven't seen you, but you don't sound... You're debilitated. You don't sound like you've been hit by a truck. Um, and the key thing is keep exercising. But if you notice that you just can't do it anymore, get yeah. yourself checked out. Because don't ascribe um, a decrease in your exercise capacity to just being old. You sound vigorous. Uh, again, I'm only guessing. 
But if you're dedicated to exercise and you're dedicated to diet, remember one thing. That's not all there is in life. So I had a marathon runner Mm -hmm. who had a family history that was just terrible. And he just kept exercising and he felt great. And then one day he dropped dead. Oh, my. You can't, you know, Mother Nature, you can't fool Mother Nature. You can cut back on Mother Nature's influence. But pay attention to your body. If you notice a significant decrease in your ability to exercise, that is not due to something else, like you've fractured your ankle or you got some other illness, you know, you've got COPD or lung problems, get the to your doctor and get it checked out um, because it could mean something uh, that has to do with your heart's inability to do the things that it used to be able to do. Okay. Thank you a lot, Doc. That means a lot. I'll keep yeah. listening. And I'll well, I, I hope that was, you know, it's a careful explanation because I don't want to alarm you. Um, no, but, uh-huh. yeah. And, and let us know um, what you're doing. If we have more time next time, I want to really get an idea of what you actually do yeah. uh, physically. All right. Thank you, James. That, that makes sense. That's a yeah. new perspective, but I listen to you guys yeah. all the time. Well, thank you. you. Great job. Keep doing we'll it. This it. is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.